The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're gonna to learn about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is an up-and-comer in the marketing world. John Chang is the Global Product Marketing Manager for IBM's Watson Marketing, which is IBM's suite of enterprise-ready AI services and applications. He's also an adjunct faculty of social media and web analytics at NYU and was recently named to Forbes's 30 under 30 list for marketing and advertising. Prior to his current role, John held a variety of digital and product marketing roles at Stack Overflow, Kickstarter, and General Assembly. Here's our interview with Global Product Marketing Manager for Watson IBM's Marketing, John Cheng. John, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm going to start off by reiterating what I said offline. It's a little frustrating to be talking to someone who is so much younger than me and so much farther ahead in his career. What the heck, man? You're making the rest of us look bad. <laughs> Thanks. It's very flattering. And I'm excited to share more about my story, but it's not as impressive as it seems, I promise. Well, you've obviously been very successful early on in your career. And kidding aside, we're very excited to have you as a guest on the show. Why don't we start off by talking about how you got into marketing? Absolutely. I have a degree in existential philosophy. And what I found out very early on is that the track to the professional world is fairly narrow with that degree. And instead, I ended up applying a lot of other things I learned in undergrad, one of which I was running our music venue. And to do that, I didn't even realize I was doing marketing at the time, but I was trying to fill a thousand person venue for shows multiple times a week. And I figured out I was marketing after interviewing for jobs and people who were interviewing me wanted to focus on that part of my experience, not the four years of education that I had just gone through. I have a funny story for you. Um, I interviewed Kip Knight, who has been the CMO and the general manager and the president of a couple very established companies. He was the CMO of Taco Bell, most notably. And the way that his career started was he was at LSU. And when he wasn't able to get into one of the fraternities, he went into essentially the business fraternity at LSU. And his role was to fill the music venue. And he brought in 
I think it was the founder of Star Trek and had to fill the stadium. And that's basically how he got into marketing. So interesting parallel between a more established marketer who has definitely been around the block and a young marketer like yourself. It seems like if you have to fill a music venue early on in your career, you're destined for success. <laughs> it is absolutely crazy hard to do. So outside of your college experience where you sort of stumbled into marketing through some of your extracurricular activities, tell me about the beginning steps of your career and what were your first roles? My first roles in figuring out marketing was a highly confusing period of time <laughs> because I really didn't know where to turn to figure out what marketing was. During my first position, I was doing essentially just direct mail and the scope of marketing that we had defined was so narrow. Then the second role, which I think is most important here, I decided to leave a job at a law firm and then take an internship at the age of 23. My dad was thrilled. And at that point, I worked for a startup and it was the professor of digital marketing at Columbia Business School. And it exploded my entire mind. And that's where I really figured out exactly what marketing could be if we really explored every individual facet. Just those two experiences were transformational for me. So let's dig a little deeper in there. Essentially, your first job was working at a law firm where you got some practical skills focusing on one marketing channel, working on direct mail. And then you say you expanded your mind in terms of your understanding of marketing with your second job. What was the reason why you thought that that was such an impactful experience? There's a couple of reasons why. One is because of the skill sets I was able to gain. Instead of just thinking that every problem could be solved with the same answer, I was challenged to explore digital marketing, which is the exact opposite. I needed to figure out how to solve the same problem from multiple angles and multiple channels. So I think that alone is something valuable everyone early in their career should realize as soon as possible. But in addition to that, I would say my biggest cheerleader and mentor and best boss has been this one man who I worked for at that time. So in terms of transforming a career, those two things in combination were just so impactful. So you had a mentor from early on in your career who's helping you understand different ways to tackle marketing problems. Tell me about that relationship and how did you sort of formalize your mentorship? It was lucky for me that he was the CEO of the company as well as my manager. And he's just a great guy. I think that's part of the equation. You can't force everyone into being both a manager and a mentor, but the best managers are also mentors. I wish there was something I could give advice about and making this the best formal relationship, but he really drove the whole thing. I think that it was right place, right time. Was there anything that you think you did that helped him want to invest in developing your career? I think so. There's a couple things, especially now in retrospect, a couple things that I think I help to do is one, keeping an open mind. If you have an open mind and are also ambitious, it's much easier for a mentor to be excited and align things. The second part is my beginning of my career. It was very similar to his in a lot of ways. He worked in the music industry and then I came from running a music venue. And I think that just on a personal level, we're able to connect in that same way. So you had some similar experiences leading into that relationship, and he was able to help you understand some of the larger strategic ways to approach marketing problems. Absolutely. What was the company that you were focused on? What were the objectives you were trying to achieve? 
So that company is called Pricing Engine. It was a startup helping small to medium-sized businesses advertise and get into the entire digital sphere. As an employee of the organization, I did a few things. One, I needed to increase the pipeline for the clients. And then in addition to that, I also ran some campaigns for clients of Pricing Engine. One thing to note here, though, is we were one of the first companies in WeWork Labs. And this is at a time when WeWork only had two individual buildings in the entire world, let alone however ungodly amount they have now. So being in that space also greatly influenced my career because we were able to sit next to other struggling startups who are willing to exchange my copywriting skills for teaching me how to run an email campaign or teaching me how to code. And it was almost a renaissance of being able to exchange skill sets in a small space. So you're working at a early stage startup and you're getting a broad set of experiences. You're managing multiple different functions of marketing, but you're also in an environment that you're able to learn from other startup marketers. Exactly. It absolutely was multifaceted at the time. So I'm very lucky, definitely. But it goes back to that mentality of being opportunistic and willing to learn. And it's a different kind of learning that you have in undergrad. It's not a textbook learning. It is more so like a world and skills learning. So tell me a little bit about how that experience vaulted you forward. So one of the best ways that it impacted my career was learning skill sets. And I look around so often nowadays and I see marketers who have had very successful careers, but might be struggling a little bit because they lack the technical expertise. And I'm generalizing a little bit here, but I was able to hurdle over that barrier from the very start because of being within that WeWork experience. Okay. So basically you're saying that being in that environment and having the experience to work across multiple different campaigns taught you the skill set of being able to learn new technologies. So how did that apply as you moved outside of the original startup that you worked for into some of the other startups? This was during a time when growth marketing was really becoming a thing. And growth marketing is often confused by being a jack of all trades. And I think it's just because growth marketers need to, one, be able to always try new things, meaning you're nimble about technology. And the second is you're often working alone or if it's a very, very small team. So when I think about hiring, especially when I was at Kickstarter, I was thinking about people who are creative, technical, or analytical, and how we can actually combine those traits together. And my initial experience um, growing my career, I was able to turn all of those ors between the skill sets into ands. And I think that's what has made me valuable to different organizations because I'm able to operate a little more independently, but also still have that growth mentality that really requires a creative skill set, a technical skill set, and then the traditional marketing skill set. I think that's interesting. We've talked a lot on the show about what the difference between growth marketing and traditional marketing are. And I think that growth marketing, a lot of the times, is another way to basically say it's an innovative approach to product marketing, where you're focusing on understanding what is happening within your product to be able to maximize the throughput of the people that are coming to your product, as opposed to traditional marketing is more positioning, building out your products, communicating what your brand stands for. It sounds like you've mastered both ends of the spectrum. In terms of your skill set, do you consider yourself to be a growth marketer? Do you consider yourself to be a marketer, a brand marketer? How do you define what your core competence is? I quite frankly often have identity crises about this specific topic because 
I think depending on the industry and depending on the organizational structure, the definition of a growth marketer, product marketer, and so forth does change a little bit. I think overarching though, I consider myself an expert at growth and to achieve the growth, I know product, brand, traditional marketing, and so forth. So tell me about some of the other experiences that you had in the early stages of your career that vaulted you forward. Being at a high growth organization is an amazing experience, an accelerating experience, while also being a highly stressful and turbulent experience. And my first experience like this was at MakerBot. Oh man, one of my first loves. And I worked there during a time right after they were acquired. So for those of you who don't know, MakerBot is a tech company, 3D printing startup, and for so long, the darling of Brooklyn. When I was there, we ended up going through three rounds of layoffs. We had a lot of product vision challenges, and I was put on multiple teams to work around these solutions. And I was originally hired just to create content for social media. Again, pulling from what I did actually learn from undergrad and just holding on to and growing skill sets from there out. But this MakerBot experience was particularly interesting because one, I moved up due to attrition. So that was also luck. But then as I moved up, it was kind of do or die. You learn the skill sets to do the job or you don't. And then you transition out as well. So I would say the middle part of my career is wrought with all of those kinds of high growth experiences. I think that's life at early stage startups where you're pouring gasoline on a fire, right? And mostly the VC backed type startups where you're trying to achieve such hockey stick growth type model that you basically get these high growth scenarios that are quick to flame out or end up becoming these huge successes and high turnover, something that you see often. And what you said of thriving through attrition is interesting to me. This was the role where you were responsible for social media management. You mentioned you were doing a lot of copywriting. What else were you doing at MakerBot? In such a short amount of time, I went from more so art directing, copywriting, to then managing the social media calendar, and then the strategy, and then combining the paid and the organic strategies as well. So it just slowly grew more and more and more. And I think part of the reason is because at the time, not only MakerBot, but other organizations were starting to struggle about its definition for social media marketing. And the great thing about MakerBot, they were like, just keep pushing it. And social is so flexible that we just kept pushing and I kept doing more and more and more. And it's just never ended. Yeah, that's an interesting thing about social media. And it sounds like in this experience in your career, you were forced to not only take on a strategic role, do more creative work, but you're working on both organic and paid mediums. After MakerBot, you moved into some, let's say, larger, more stable companies, uh, Stack Overflow, Kickstarter, General Assembly. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that phase in your career and what were those experiences like? All great experiences, to be honest. At General Assembly, I had a position that also changed, but for approximately a year, I was responsible for launching new products as well as new campuses and new marketplaces, essentially. And it was also very fun to do. It's where I really learned about product marketing. The CMO at the time hired me for what they were just calling a marketing manager position, but what they really meant was product marketing. And seeing how an organization can adopt product marketing for the first time was fascinating. It was highly frustrating at times, but that's part of the reason why I wanted to be there to see how do you actually jumpstart this thing? 
So I would say that's probably the biggest takeaway. After launching multiple new cities, multiple new products, including online products, I decided to go to Stack Overflow. So before we go into Stack Overflow, you mentioned that integrating product marketing at General Assembly was fascinating but frustrating. Why was it both? Why was it interesting and why was it taxing at the same time? Well, I think organizations, and it's not just specific to General Assembly, when, like you were saying, the high growth early stage part of a startup, there are very formulaic ways to do marketing. You raise around and then it's like, all right, well, we need advertising. We need the highest return on ad spend or the lowest acquisition cost, depending on the objectives. Eventually, there's an oversaturation. You're not just the early one there. So how do you actually go about reorienting your marketing strategy? And that's where you bring a product marketer in because you realize we need better messaging, positioning, and to actually bring our new marketplaces there with full go-to-market strategies. But it's such a tangential model that it really disrupts that original formulaic structure that a lot of startups go into. So what it actually disrupts, one, the organizational and the operations. So I was a person who came in and needed to work with the existing marketing leadership and say, I am now responsible for the messaging of the position. I know that you have before, but we need to transition this. There's definitely tension and frustration that happens in all those situations. But I think it's a necessary action for any of these organizations to essentially grow up. The thing that sticks out in my mind is that you went from working at relatively early stage startups and you developed these skills as in social media management, in some product management. I'm using air quotes that you can't see, but as a growth hacker. And then you get to general assembly, which is in a growth phase. And you're describing the frustration that you felt trying to integrate basically processes into an organization. And to me, that's something I want to stop and call out and It's logical to me that as companies hit their growth phase, there is a need to build in processes because the team is expanding, because the area of focus of expanding, because the mission is expanding, because there's more pressure on you to scale the organization. And it's not just the core four people that are starting the company. You're working at a larger organization, and that always ends up driving some tension in my experience. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. 
Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. So tell me about as you're now moving into these sort of growth stage companies as opposed to the earliest of early stage companies and you started focusing on product marketing, where do you go from there? Well, one of the reasons why I do love product marketing when thinking about the longevity of my career is it works against my fear. One of my fears is being pigeonholed into just one kind of marketing. And that's a lot of what I was thinking about, really unnecessarily, but I was thinking about it a lot at MakerBot. Will I only ever be a social media person? So I wanted to go into something a little more broad to help me explore. And one thing to keep in mind is that all this time, starting when I was at MakerBot, I've been teaching at General Assembly, teaching a full 10-week digital marketing boot camp for students. It's 60 hours of in-person instruction around every possible kind of digital marketing. And while I'm doing all of this, I just continue to reinforce in my head, there's a way to do digital marketing that I wholeheartedly believe is the right way. You got to tell me about that. What's the right way to do digital marketing? (laughs) So this is the TLDR that I generally explain about doing digital marketing. And it really focuses on your numerator and denominator of opportunity. So the numerator represents your objective and all of your KPIs. Those absolutely need to be set. And that then falls into more of the agile marketing methodology. So we have that. Just know where your North Star is. Feel free. Like you can actually push that forward. The denominator is your opportunity size. And this thought really started in my head starting at MakerBot because with DIY 3D printing, the denominator ended up being really, really small. So we had a very high conversion rate, but eventually extinguished that core group of users and needed to use growth marketing instead to increase the denominator and push forward the users of three to five years from now. So I think digital marketing works best when you can work towards that North Star while simultaneously running marketing models that create users for your future success. So let me try to distill that down a little bit. If I'm understanding you correctly, essentially there's two problems that a digital marketer needs to solve. There is how big is the opportunity size? How big is the universe that we're going to be targeting? That's what you're calling the denominator. How big is the pie? And then the numerator is what percentage, what our conversion rate is. So if we're marketing towards a total possible market of a million people and the max that we could possibly convert is a 1% conversion rate, there's only, if I did the math right, a thousand people that we're likely going to convert. And if that's not enough, you know, if you're working on a, a low average selling price product, you either need to raise your conversion rate or raise the total market size. So that's essentially the balance that you're talking about is how big is the market? How likely are you to convert the people that are in it? I absolutely think so. And the one thing I would add on to it is the reason why I just love thinking in that way is because Digital marketing is responsible for not only ensuring current success, but also future success. So oftentimes, a lot of organizations lose sight of driving future adoption because they're focused on the right here and right now. That's an interesting thought. To me, I think of digital marketing as a medium of advertising for the most part, right? People think of digital marketing either as content creation or as advertising on channels like Google and Facebook and other places that you can buy display or text-based ads. 
And to me, it's neither a short-term or a near-term channel. It's a question of what your objectives are. That's like saying placing a phone call to someone is a short-term or a long-term strategy. It's neither. You can run a telemarketing campaign that's a direct response campaign, or you can call someone who's in your personal network and cultivate a relationship, which could be a long-term game. It's really just a medium of communication with a large group of people. I think what you're saying does support what I said as well. And here's something that might tie this together. So absolutely, like telecommunication, you're taking an individual channel and then ensuring that the use of the channel does achieve both of those long-term and short-term objectives as the medium, like you're saying. So digital marketing, that might be even just be the definition of the core, but then how do you incorporate social media in there? Social media to me is kind of what changes the entire concept because you aren't necessarily just talking to future customers. You're also not necessarily talking to current customers. It's all in this big hodgepodge. So when you start creating content, it's content that communicates the best practices, best values of the organization. But very tactically, it's, well, you might have an Ask Me Anything that increases that denominator by having these one small touch points with users. But you also might have another Ask Me Anything that is purely focused on driving advocacy and loyalty. And where I see a lot of digital marketers go wrong is that they do treat the channels purely as communication, but don't separate it out between, well, is this a Q1 user creation campaign or is this a growth marketing? And quite frankly, a little bit of product marketing as well, where we're inching our way into these users' lives. So I started thinking about a lot of this stuff because I was teaching at General Assembly. And while doing that, as someone who's, what, 23 at the time, I encountered dozens and dozens of weekly conversations with organizations that are vastly different. Every single student wants to know, how do I apply this specifically to my use cases? And they are in different industries, different points in their life cycles. So it was almost like an academic exercise. Just by teaching while also working, I had to thread the needle over time. And that's how I come up with my concepts and what drives how I think about marketing, regardless of whether or not it's right. I am wrong a lot. Let me just say that. I'm wrong a lot, but I do feel strongly about my opinions because they're shaped over this one-to-one research in the form of teaching. I understand that your philosophy on teaching and how you're coming up with your concepts, eventually when you're at General Assembly, you make the transition from, I don't want to call it an informal teaching organization, but an unaccredited one. And now you're an adjunct faculty member at NYU. So talk to me a little bit about taking the experience that you had teaching about General Assembly and how did you parlay that to be on the professorial track at an accredited university like NYU? Well, my curriculum advisor at General Assembly was the one who recommended me to my now dean at NYU. So the two are related in that aspect. My dean was asking, I need someone who teaches web analytics. Do you know anyone? And he threw my name into there. So they are inherently different models because NYU is liberal arts and academic, whereas General Assembly is training. So the objectives are different for the students. However, the methodologies can translate from one to the other, meaning if I'm going to teach web analytics and I'm training someone, then they very much so need to master each and every individual use case. Whereas at NYU, they need to master the use cases. But in addition to that, what are they going to do when I'm not there holding their hand? 
The goal of the liberal arts education, and especially from an academic standpoint, is that they so concretely understand the world of web analytics that when they encounter new problems as they go along in the world, they are able to then make all the connections and continue their education on their own as they go along. I'm going to butcher this metaphor, but it goes something to the extent of if you give a man a fish, he can eat for a day. And if you teach a man to fish, he can eat for a lifetime. And essentially what it sounds like is at General Assembly, you're helping people reel in their fish. And at NYU, you are giving them the marketing foundation to be able to fish for themselves. That's a great analogy. I didn't make it up myself, but thank you. Well, I don't want to discredit what General Assembly does because I really do love it. And I am speaking specifically to the marketing programs because their full-time immersion programs where you become a full-stack developer doesn't apply in this analogy. That also is like, you to fish plus more. I'm not saying anything bad about General Assembly. It's practical, hands-on training. And it is more, this is how you solve this discrete problem as opposed to at NYU, what you're teaching is, here is how you think about this medium of marketing or in your case, web analytics. Yeah. The interesting thing to me in your career, and one of the reasons why it makes sense that you were named as one of Forbes 30 under 30, is that you've embarked on this path where you're teaching other marketers, but you're also working at IBM at the same time. Tell me about your role working on IBM Watson Marketing. The role is awesome. I am a product marketer for one of the Watson solutions. I mean, Watson is gigantic. It does so, so much. So there's something like over 100 product marketers that work on each individual facet of Watson. Just wanted to set the framework because what I do is very purpose-driven for a purpose that Watson completes, meaning marketing technology. We have a suite of MarTech products, and I create the positioning, the messaging, and the go-to-market for those. And it's a fascinating product. I thought I even knew so much about it before I joined the organization, but every single day, and given the fact that it's an AI and it does run on its own, I learned so much more about the capabilities and potential of it. But I love the marketing that I do specifically because even though it's a very, very large organization, our business unit is fairly small. So I feel like I am working with the same mentality and energy of a startup, but with the resources of IBM of one of the biggest computing companies and the oldest computing companies in the history of the world. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard of it before. Well, I have. <laughs> Talk to me about time management. It seems like you've had a lot on your plate between your work as a startup, growth stage companies, you're working as an educator and as an in-house marketer for IBM. How are you able to manage the work that you do on the educational side and as an in-house marketer? With great difficulty. It's just like where you grow and you test your own marketing campaigns. I do it with my career and there's tons of failures along the way, but it's very stressful and very rewarding. I think that kind of goes into the growth mentality where that's why we do it. So I work a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot for that reason, but... What's a lot? So right now it's not so bad, but when I am simultaneously teaching, the minimum is like an 80 hour week. So. Doing that in addition to my speaking career as well, which I'm not factoring in, I end up finding ways to work on planes or I've gotten really good at working on my phone in the subway where I type my miscellaneous notes or I'll like ideate different slides for decks and just describe it there. But there's all these little efficiency hacks that help me simultaneously both. 
just because it's a little more than left brain, right brain doing an in-house position and then teaching. They are very much different disciplines, even though they inform each other. So what's the long-term trajectory and goal for you in your career? It seems like you're chasing down an in-house product marketing path. And I think that there's the opportunity to go into a leadership capacity as a product marketer or as a general marketer. And then you're also working as an educator. Do you see continuing to do both of them or do you feel like you have a future in one direction or the other? I don't think I could live without either one. And right now it's more of a conflict than I think it should be. More and more practitioners are teaching even in the higher ed level. So I think that there's an increasing amount of opportunities for practitioners to teach, and that should solidify a safe career for me doing both moving forward. The question I usually get is, which one will you do more of later in life? I don't really know, but my current goal is to do more practicing than teaching. More practicing than teaching. So last question I have for you is, as you reflect back on your fast pace, relatively early career, you've accomplished a tremendous amount. What advice do you have for the younger marketers who are just embarking on their journey in our shared field? If you want to be a marketer and you are just starting out, get as much hands-on experience as possible and diversify that experience as well. My assumption is that you don't necessarily know what kind of marketing fits best for you. And it's going to change as you go anyway. So the more exposure that you have, the easier it'll be to tell a cohesive career story. And then the second thing is the not only diverse in channels and skill sets and stuff like that, but I would have never known I liked product marketing unless I started experimenting with learning product management. And I don't see myself as a product manager, but by virtue of exploring that, I came to the conclusion of product marketing itself. My takeaway from this conversation, you're obviously a very driven marketer. You've achieved a lot early on in your career. And to me, the exposure to multiple different channels of marketing early on in your career, and also finding a mentor to sort of give you some of the strategic direction that most marketers take a long time to develop, helped light the fire early in your career and has helped you get to the point that you are today. So let me just say, I appreciate you being a guest on the show. Thank you for telling us a little bit about your career path and your success. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to John Chang for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about John, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at Changaroo, which is C-H-A-N-G-A-H-R-O-O. Or you could visit his website at johnchang.co. That's J-O-N-C-H-A-N-G dot C-O. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can also reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap on LinkedIn and Twitter. That's B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we've got some great episodes lined up for you. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed next week. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.
Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.